I just oh, want to. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to uh, the Thursday, September 26th QPSC. We, at this point, uh, we're about to do a roll call, but we do not have a quorum. So we're going to go into non-actionable items to start out with. We have one of our trustees who is currently on route. So uh, let's go with roll call, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Trustee Banerjee is not here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Hernandez is not here today. And Trustee Jensen. Here. We don't have a quorum. We yet do, as of yet, do not have a quorum. Therefore, we cannot go into actionable items and we'll hold off closed session. Given this, we're going to work a little bit backwards. Um, let's go to item H, which is at the very end of the packet. This is the planning calendar and issue tracking. Um, this is in the very end of your packet. Uh, as we all recall, we tried to make a forecast for the year on this. Um, any comments, uh, Trustee Jensen, on, on the calendar? Any items? Uh, we've, we've mapped out the year for all our SBUs. Of course, our med staff reports. This is on page 207 of the packet. Uh, uh, all, all our reports are mapped out for the year. We have a section for ad hoc reports. Um, uh, earlier in the year, we discussed the patient affairs landscape. Uh, Dr. Jamaluddin is going to come back to us probably in November, we'll, 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 depending on how things are going. It's, it's come to my attention that there's uh, an interest in uh, uh, another ad hoc presentation. Dr. Hearn has had discussion with me uh, with regard to physician wellness uh, from Lisa Rosequist. I think that might be an appropriate report. Next month does not look heavy. Um, so I think we could probably agendize 10 to 15 minutes for next month on that. Uh, uh, from staff or trustees, any other items? Mr. Fonseca, anything that you would like to bring forward to quality? You got some space. Think about it. Uh, we, so again, we have, a, we, we have some agendized space for these ad hoc sessions. Uh, so we will probably add on um, uh, a report next month uh, for about 10 to 15 minutes on, on the physician well-being from Lisa Rosequest. With that, we will close out item H, which the, is the planning calendar and issue tracking. With that, we'll keep moving backwards. Let's do uh, the True North metric dashboard review. I agendized eight minutes for that, and um, uh, if, if need be. Uh, usually led by uh, our chief quality officer, uh, Dr. Hussein, who is uh, I'll, we'll hear a report from the quality team uh, and or from Dr. Jamaldeen about what he's doing right now, which is sort of good news. Um, but Annette Johnson, Annette, do you mind coming up and walking us through the, the TNM dashboard? Welcome, Annette. And just take this mic right here if you don't mind. I'm trying, trying to open my board I was having some uh, internet problems. I don't yeah. know. So for those of you who are following along in the packet, this uh, begins, the True North metric dashboard begins on page 198, 198. And just to remind everybody, this is our dashboard for quality-related items. In the late spring, we had a, a long discussion about what those uh, uh, 11 or 12 items are. Um, we just closed out our last fiscal a uh, month or two ago, so I think this is sort of going to be uh, sort of the first month as our entree into some of our new dashboard items. Um, Annette, please. Okay. So um, we have transitioned to fiscal year 2020. Um, so we're going to see a little bit of red because we have brand new goals that we're striving for. So under access, our ambulatory um, clinic to discharge times, they're aiming for another 10% reduction, which they were successful in reducing the total lead time by 10% um, 
last year and they're going to continue to try and bring that number down to decrease patient wait time and improve clinical efficiency. And for those following along in the packet, the, 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 the True North metric dashboard is on page 203 of the packet. <coughs> Sorry, um, Annette. No, no problem. Then for um, um, observed to expected length of stay, we're going to carry that metric over. Um, we have set um, a slightly higher or less ambitious target given that we're going to be making the transition to EPIC and we want to give um, some time for the physicians and staff to adjust to the new system which may impact um, our expected length of stay, not necessarily observed, so that we can do a right risk adjusting. Um, from there, uh, in, a, in a tandem to that, we're going to be adding the avoidable days which is sort of like what are the, if there are any delays in our length of stay that could be prevented, we'll be tracking that. And I'm working with Denise Pitney and Sheila Liswell right now to finalize the, exactly how we're going to define that measure and make sure that it's fully validated before we add it to the officially show results on the dashboard. So that should be here next month. Um, and then for, we're going to continue to work on um, ED length of stay for admitted patients. So how long does it take from the decision the time you decide to admit the patient to the time that they actually move to the inpatient floor. And you know, we had we had a sort of a spike in middle of last year and then we had tremendous improvement at the tail end of the fiscal year. So we have set a, rel a relatively ambitious goal to get us to eight hours um, and to sort of continue to work there from there. Although right now we're sitting at seven, so we're doing better than we, we projected. Annette, for those who are not following along in the packet, this, this is one of the metrics which sort of jumps out at me as a little bit of a wow factor. Um, uh, can you just tell us what our baseline was and uh, where we, when we started out on this? Again, so, page 203 of the document. So our baseline last year was 13, uh, and, uh, 13, uh, 13 hours and um, 47 minutes, and so we're trying to get it down to eight. At one point during the last year, we are nearly 24. I've been looking at this metric for many, many years. Yes. Um, <laughs> And so I'm very excited to see like six and seven hours. So I, I can't wait to see where this goes um, once we get uh, rolling with Epic um, and, and, and some and, of the and work. While, and I, I apologize, I'm interrupting you, but I mean, well, I mean, it's so impressive. Can 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 you speak to some of the work around that? I also have uh, Ms. McInnes and Dr. Tornabeni in the room. So I mean, th 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 this is one that should be shouted from the mountains <laughs> yeah. about about this metric. You know, because in in my time here, the average has been 12 to 20 hours, and uh, getting into single digits was always kind of. Uh, we wondered whether that was achievable to, to, to get to less to a sub seven hours. Mm -hmm. Still not where we need to be, but it's the, the, the delta is quite amazing. So yeah, I'll, I'll open up the mic to, to each and all of you if you like. Mm -hmm. Sure, this is uh, certainly a large portfolio of work that has been going um, very well over the past year. Just over a year ago, the throughput steering committee launched uh, just before I started and then um, had a portfolio of sub-teams that included everything from multidisciplinary rounds to partnership with uh, sub for, with post-acute um, to addressing behavioral health barriers. And over the past year, um, there certainly have been some key successes. I think one of the um, items that we've talked about, certainly in um, Medical Executive Committee uh, a few times, is 
the implementation of new daily multidisciplinary rounds where that is on the units where the uh, where the patients receive their care that involves uh, nursing leadership uh, physicians and care management and social work and um, that involves uh, surgical teams medical teams and really helps um, keep an eye on uh, wh what we need to push in order to get our patients to their safe discharge um, and this has truly uh, revolutionized our our throughput uh, there's certainly um, more work to do and we are doing it uh, Janet and I work closely together on that through in our throughput steering committee and we are actually looking at now a year into throughput steering um, uh, looking at that portfolio and then changing our direction a little bit and being able to retire some of the the sub teams and improvement teams uh, that are currently um, currently there so um, we're at an exciting time um, and we are Janet and I and then uh, certainly um, Janet's team of VPs and then uh, Sheila are we put the pressure every day to say who's here who do we? Who can we discharge? What barriers do we need to overcome? That's a that's a daily conversation that we have. Yes. Yeah, so the only thing I'd want to add is it's really been about uh, the optics, and so looking at everybody in the list. Teresa does a fantastic yeah. job every day of going through. They can go. They can go. They can go. And then we are kind of the muscle that will go up and say, okay, let's go. What's the barrier? And then uh, you know, do we need to get legal involved? So um, big success story yesterday. We had a patient that had been here over 300 days, very challenging. Um, got him placed back to uh, Santa Rita Jail, which was a challenge in itself. And so um, it was truly a team effort. But I think that I'm, maybe hasn't I'm been. I'm certain I know this patient. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, you know, and then how do we keep that those those people from coming back? How do we get them what they need in the community so that they don't come back and stay? Um, so still a lot of work to be done, but I think just putting a different optic on it and then really pushing to make sure that we have safe discharges, but looking at what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So it's exciting. I, I said to Felicia, the seven hours, um, I'm not sure that I'm celebrating mediocre and yeah. we can you know I initially I think pitched out two hours and it was like what yeah. two hours so I know we can get there we just uh, you know need to take it step by step but so, so Janet or or any of the three of you can you comment on what industry standard would be for comparator hospitals safety net hospitals and the like mm. what 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 is Nirvana here where what what is two to four yeah. hours two yeah. to four yeah. hours yeah. for yeah. comparator hospitals yes. yeah and then for once teaching uh, programs and the like yeah and then once orders are written, it's usually an hour from uh, the ED to the bed upstairs. And so, um, yeah. And truly, I mean, we're at the penultimate eve before our, our go live and the visibility that we'll have as, as a team to promote throughput is just going to be unparalleled with, with Epic. I'm so excited about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's what an exciting time for us. <laughs> Ms. Johnson, I apologize. Keep no, going. this is great. I appreciate it. Okay. So um, then we'll move on to the quality pillar. We are going to continue to track our pay for reporting programs um, for Prime and Quip. Um, with each new fiscal year, we get new targets um, that are based on the previous year's baseline, so we would not expect to have all our metrics at target at this point. I think it's very promising that we have so many of them at target, which means that we are the way Prime works is you're constantly trying to close the gap between you and what is the national 90th percentile. So to have metrics like this, this generally means that these metrics are sitting at the 90th percentile. So that's very impressive. 
um, for the organization. Otherwise, we would have a goal to obtain. <coughs> for 30-day um, readmits, we are targeting a, um, hold on, let me double check my numbers. Wait, I know what the target is, but I'm trying to look up what that actually means. We're looking at a 5% reduction. This is a little bit more ambitious than our usual goal, which is to hit the prime target. And the reason for that is, is for the first time, the prime readmission measure and the readmission measure that's typically used for an inpatient acute setting have diverged. Um, and the prime metric is really looking at um, not only med surge readmissions, but also readmissions to the psych facility. Hmm. So. Um, it didn't seem appropriate to use the prime uh, target this year for this measure. Um, so we set uh, we set our, we looked at our baseline and set a, a reasonable target um, that should put us well within range to hit the prime target because if we get our med surge uh, readmissions this low, we should be in range to get the prime target. <coughs> All right, and so then we are going to continue to work on hospital acquired infections. So. Just to let you know, we ex we did hit our target last year for hospital-acquired infections, but we expanded to include um, CLAPSI and SSSI uh, and C, C. difficile. So we have a larger number of, so, uh, of infections captured here. Um, and the reason for this is that those are all the ones that NHSN and the feds are tracking and that they are holding us to when they talk about the harm penalty that they will do under the federal rule. And so uh, we worked, I worked very hard with infection control to make sure that we set this target so that each of these infection types will be um, at, least that, at least at the 70th percentile. Um, because if you are at the 75th percentile, then you run the risk of incurring a CMS penalty. So, <laughs> yes. I haven't got that page yet, but you, page, this, uh, we're on page 203. And this is where the baseline and what is is varies very much, right? Right, so correct. Where you have like six points something for the baseline, and, and, and you said that's because you're tracking it more? We've added additional infections, okay. so we would expect this to be higher than what we were seeing previously. The other reason that we're seeing this spike right now is that we actually had one surgical site infection, and because um, with the other infection types, you're looking at the number of patient days or the number of line days. With surgical site infections, you're only looking at the number of procedures. So a single procedure can cause your rate to spike great, uh, vastly. When I looked at this last year, we only had one surgical site infection in all of um, the last fiscal year. Um, I talked with Christy Pack from Infection Control to say, do we think this is a spike? She says, no, she doesn't expect this to increase. It's just unfortunate that we had a social um, SSI at the very beginning of the year. So it makes our rate look inflated. Okay. Um. <clears throat> uh, and can you help me with uh, some one of the things you said? We changed our, we added infections in. It, uh, please educate me. It was my understanding that the hospital part in the infections index was kind of a national standard on that. So when you say we did, so last is that the year, royal we or is that just high? AHS. AHS. So we, last year, we didn't include all of the ones that were being tracked by NHSN because we had them being tracked uh -huh. in other arenas. Okay. We, they were included in Prime, and we didn't want to be redundant okay. because they're they're also they're also uh, under the Prime initiative to drive them down. Okay. But we just. We so we adapted what yeah. the, the, the HSN. Mm -hmm. okay, I, yeah. That was my misunderstanding. I thought mm -hmm. we were using a standard definition that everyone around the country was using. We were not. No, we um, no. Okay. Um, we roll our ups. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 
And then um, for harm index, we're going to just, we made tremendous improvement last year and our goal is just to hold at this point because we have such a low rate. Um, I, you know, a single event could make us not meet, meet goal. So at this point, we just want to hold and continue to track these, um, especially as we move into EPIC um, to make sure that we have a way to catch these and these aren't slipping through the cracks. Um, and then for patient experience, we are, we set a actually more ambitious <laughs> goal than was recommended by Press Gainey. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason being is that we have such a tremendous and wonderful initiative going on now with GIFT and the no-pass zones, um, and this is a strategic priority. Um, so we decided to be a little bit more ambitious this year. Um, typically, um, from what Press Gainey tells me, the best organizations um, can only improve three full percentage points in a year. And we're aiming for a one and a half percent absolute improvement, not a relative. So I think it's an exciting time and I can't wait to see us achieve that. Um, and then the only reason you're not seeing CGCAPS data on the dashboard right now is that it's a mail-based survey. It lags behind. I don't have results yet. I will actually... Probably a quarter lag. Yeah, it's about a three-month delay. Yeah. Okay. So I will next month. I actually will have the results in about three weeks. Okay. Right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for the report, trustees. Any questions, Burnett? Great work, as always, over the years. Um, any questions? Thank you. Great. With that, we will close out item uh, G. And I will note that uh, Trustee Banerjee uh, uh, has arrived, so we now have achieved quorum. So with that, um, I will uh, kind of make our, our, our standard announcements. Uh, welcome to all. This is the uh, September uh, 26th uh, QPSC. Uh, re uh, remember that our, con our standard convention is to move immediately into closed session after roll call. We made that adaptation, but now we've achieved quorum. Closed session is uh, for 1157 protected discussions. It's used to discuss confidential matters and uh, issues related to the medical staff accreditation or risk management. If you are not directly related to one of these discussions, we ask you to join during the open session, which should follow probably in about 30 minutes. I'll note uh, to the med staff uh, who, who, uh, who might be in the room, if I think it's appropriate if they are IPPC members who sit on the quality team. I think that would probably be appropriate counsel. Would, would, you, would you agree with that? If they sit on the quality committees of, that, that feed the data to us? So there, there are some quality pieces which, which have been wrapped in, though. Yeah. Was that yes? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome. All right, everybody. Welcome back to open session of the September 26, 2019 QPSC. Uh, we've uh, finished with closed session. We'll go into uh, open session. We're going to uh, consent agenda item B. Can I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda in its entirety? I wasn't here for the minute. No, today's consent agenda. Uh, yeah, today's consent agenda. Uh, yeah, so moved. Second? Okay, so uh, with regard to items B1, the, the minutes are in there. Any comments or editorial comment that needs to be? Um, no, but on B2, I have something. So um, so B1, no items for discussion. B2 includes 19 system-wide policies and procedures, two at Highland and one in ambulatory. Uh, Trustee Banerjee, commentary. It's very minor. Sure. There's typo 
on page 16, I think. I don't have my notes, but I think there's uh, on, on the condition, on hyperthermia or something like that. Was it the malignant hyperthermia? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which page that was. Just, just that one. Do you, do you recall the yeah. elements of the typo? Yes, it is uh, H-Y-P-E-R. There is a P missing in the hyperthermia. In the, in the policy. Oh, it, that's in the policy. Got it. And we'll just make note of that to the staff, uh, just a, a typo correction. Uh, I, I want to uh, compliment the team. There's, uh, we've been talking about it for years, there's a lot of standardization on the approval policy and documentation. So it looks like we're finally there. So um, kudos to the team. Item B3 is a, our privileging forms related to Alameda Hospital. Um, those include optometry and ophthalmology. And those are, um, those are uh, within, they sit, those sit within the Department of Surgery. Any commentary on them? I've never seen people get excited about privileging forms before, but we'll take it. <laughs> so uh, absent any other firm, further commentary, all in favor of approving the consent agenda, item B? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstention? Item B closes. Excellent. We are on time. And we will move to item C, uh, the QPSC chair report. Um, okay. So over the past year or so, uh, this committee has been working to help clarify and embrace a working definition of quality uh, for both itself, this committee, and the organization at large. Uh, and uh, to remediate ourselves. Remember, I'm an educator, so I'm, I'm going to remediate ourselves. The STEEP acronym reminds us of the essential domains of quality, so let's do it together. S stands for safety. T is timeliness. E is effectiveness and uh, efficiency and equity. And P is patient-centeredness. Um, personally speaking, I don't think we as an organization have yet embraced the centrality of quality yet, but we are certainly moving that way as we just had that discussion in closed session. Thankfully, thankfully I, I, I do have hope that we are moving in the right direction. Um, last month, we heard a story about one of our nurses at Highland Hospital um, refusing to call one of our transgender patients by their gender, gender identity. I think that was an important moment for this committee to hear, and, and it certainly uh, had a, it's been an important moment for our operations teams. Uh, this has certainly inspired me and others uh, in discussions about the concept of equity. Uh, one of the E's, again, to remind us in this deep construct. So with that, I introduce our two articles for our discussion. So the first article, um, which is on page 130, I think, give me a second here, of your packet, it is an article uh, from the George Washington University School of Public Health. I came across this, and I just, uh, I, I love the simplicity of it. Uh, give me a second here so I can give you guys. Th this is uh, on page 160 of your packet. Um, it, the, the article is entitled, What's the Difference Between Equity and Equality? And, and I think for, for those of you who can, who can see it, the cartoon uh, uh, included here is sort of profound in, in, in what, it, what it means. So for those of you who can't see it, uh, there, there's a family of uh, what looks to be a father and two of his children on one side, 
and they're looking over, a, or they're trying to look over a fence at a baseball game, and equality, they're each standing on a equivalently sized box. That's equality. And you can see that, that the, the, the small child cannot see over the fence. On the, on, the other, on, the, on the right side of the diagram is the concept of equity. And what they've done is taken those three same boxes and distributed them so that the smallest child can stand on two of the boxes. And now everyone gets to see over the fence. And uh, I've actually never seen it described this way, and it sort of meant something to me because i got to tell you, I've kind of used these terms interchangeably. So this one is, is going to stick with me for a while. Two quotes, and then I'll open this up for a little bit of dialogue, and then we'll talk about the second article. Uh, the, the first quote from the article, equity is a process, and equality is an outcome of that process. It's a pretty cool way of thinking about it. And the next quote, the route to achieving equity will not be accomplished through treating everyone equally. It will be achieved by treating everyone justly according to their circumstances. So, you know, it's a, a cheap little three-page article with a cartoon, and uh, I, 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 think it, I think it means a lot for, uh, for this dialogue. So with that, uh, any commentary? I've given 10 minutes to this discussion. Um, Dr. J. Well, uh, before you uh, oh, sorry. go there, I, I, you started out with the um, discussion that happened last month, with, and I wasn't here. Yes. How would you relate this to uh, this? This is an entree in the discussion about equity how we treat people, you know, and, and uh, the second article will probably contextualize it right. a little bit better, yeah. uh, but that, that was, that, that's what inspired me to think about this, and I've certainly had some discussions with Chief of Staff Dr. Ballard, who, who is, a, is a passionate advocate for equity in this organization. So, did you, did, Tracy, did you want to... That was, yeah, so, I mean, the, the whole idea that of you know, we think one size fits all is 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 hogwash. Like when it comes to uh, the work that you all do, and um, so the, knowing that we have populations that have needs that face greater barriers that have that have to navigate so many systemic issues, it's it's. In incumbent upon us to show, to give more resources to those who face the greatest, greatest barriers to care. So I have a doc, I have a, um, um, the equality, equity um, graphic that I'm pulling up that transcends this a little bit where we use, where there is no wall at all, like where you are in the arena as well. So I think uh, in terms of uh, what we heard um, about uh, what happened with a patient, I do. I think it's far more than an HR issue. It's a quality issue. If you if you do not accept a person's identity, how do you provide care to that person if their self is not something that you can affirm? And so I really, I think I wrote. I asked Rana for uh, Janet's email and wrote this very fiery email that night and then decided to sleep on it because it was the 3rd of September and I knew you and Tanvir and all Thank were you. working on the John George thing and you know sleeping on it 
uh, help, help me not send it, but I'm really glad because this is a quality issue. This, you see the unconscious bias, you see the implicit bias in medical care, and if it's not intentional, if we are not thinking about equity in an intentional way, we just think all, we treat everybody the same, and we don't. We have to give extra care. And you said the word intentional, which is why, why we discuss it. Yeah. Dr. J? Uh, I will uh, let, uh, you know, again, I had conversation with Janice because I didn't uh, know about that incident specifically. Uh, so I will let her talk about this because I, I know that it was addressed. But uh, first, I want to thank you to bring this topic, not in specific to this incident, but in specificity to the quality. Uh, I, I had not read the articles, uh, but I have seen, I have seen uh, the, the, uh, the picture uh, when I started to learn about population health management. And uh, I mean, the reason I, I joined the system uh, is because of these core values that we have in, uh, in population health management is to really uh, try to strive always to, towards building a process around, around e equity and, and, uh, and delivering health care in an equitable way. So uh, I appreciate you bringing this to, to light, you know, in the in the in the con in the concept of, of quality. But it is certainly one of our core values, and we can't just talk about it. We really have to really learn about it and see what we can do different in order to to build this process moving forward. Yes, agreed. And what what I'd say to all of us is, while there are. Uh, there are a, a litany of areas of debate between providers, administration, staff, and the like in this organization as we've seen. I actually think that there, this is a point on which there is total unity on the concept of equity. And I've had discussions with our CEO on this, so I, I, I wholeheartedly believe this is our opportunity to be intentional about, about achieving uh, what, what we say we want to be here for. And that's what I'd say about that. Uh, Mr. Finley. Um, so thank you. Uh, I echo the sentiment uh, that um, having the discussion, in particular in this context, uh, uh, as we have it in others, is, is critically important. Um, I, I think Ghassan made an interesting point that I think is true, and it, it reflects on your point, which is that uh, we view ourselves, and for a host of legitimate reasons, as, as a sort of, you know, absolute manifestation of equity, uh, that, that we as a system are principled on health care as a right uh, uh, for everyone, that we are serving everyone irrespective of their ability to pay. We embrace uh, communities up and down the socioeconomic uh, spectrum, the uh, diversity and inclusion uh, uh, um, uh, perspective, or diverse and uh, ethnicity perspective, national origins, and we are doing a lot of work both in our care providing and our messaging to outreach to communities that reflect this. At the same time, I think it's absolutely uh, clear from the example that was cited last month, as well as other examples that I've heard from uh, colleagues and uh, um, um, patients in our organization, as well as indirectly from providers in our organization, we have a ways to go. And it's not sufficient for us to just be that manifestation, the quote unquote, we gave at the office type of people, but we constantly have to be. Uh, asking ourselves what are the things that we do that actually may be inadvertently uh, um, 
fostering or facilitating continued perpetuation of inequities in our in our community. Uh, one example I heard from one of our providers was a situation where our policy on um, on uh, visitation uh, uh, or was it visitation? No, it was it was it was, it was yeah it, was, it had something to do with visitation. This was actually an a, uh, OB case where a mother, unfortunately, and this is economic uh, um, um, equity, um, had a situation where her caregiver, she was here getting care, her child caregiver had a situation and couldn't take care of her patient, and so she's there with the patient, and the staff say, well, the patient, the, the kid cannot stay in the hospital with the mom. There are very legitimate reasons for that, uh, for a safety perspective and, and a host of other things. The mom then said, well, then I don't have any other option. I need to be discharged. I can't, you know, I can't leave my small child at home alone. And, and she was strongly discouraged not to be discharged to care for herself or to be uh, to receive the care that we could provide to her. But she was in a quagmire. You know, what do I do? And so the question is, how does our policy, if it can be, uh, uh, become considerate of situations where people have? Challenges, like real-world challenges, and and we do that in a way that looks at okay, this was a situation where everybody has a box. You know, that we say you can't. You know, this is our policy. This is what we do for everyone. Whereas in this situation, she needed two boxes. She needed some additional support for which maybe we could have provided, maybe we couldn't to maintain the integrity of a policy, but we could help her with other resources or something. So we have to be uh, exhibit some flexibility, uh, some flexibility that's considerate of. Uh, the desperate needs of all in our community, and we can't consider that one standard works for everyone. So that's just one example on top of the one that you already have, and I think it just speaks to the point that you're I think you're absolutely right that we all, um, at a fundamental level, have this sensibility. That's why many of us do work in the system, but at the same time, we do have to continue to um, challenge ourselves and call for some real fundamental uh, um, um, principles and patterns of practice that are just embedded in core to what we do, uh, we may not be thinking about them through a lens of equity, and I think we have to do better at that, individual and a systemic basis. Thank you, Devecchio. Nicely stated. Any other comments on this article? Okay. Uh, thank you for that. So, with this, so this article is sort of the entree to the next article, which is learning to be LGBT friendly. Uh, 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 I, I remember that I actually, when I heard about when I heard the circumstance last month, I got a visceral response, as I, I imagine many of many of you did. So that that inspired me to pursue this and and, and look at this article. It was actually published uh, about four years ago in Modern Healthcare, and uh, it, it provides not necessarily a roadmap, but the considerations we we make, and we can consider our LGBT community within the greater context of this this equity pillar of of, of steep. Um, because we're coming to time on, on this, I, 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 I like to encapsulate what I, what I took most with, uh, and sometimes I think it's important on us just to make simple guidelines or, or a, a simple extraction from this. So on page 169 uh, of this article, there are the biggest mistakes providers make in dealing with LGBT patients. So I'm just going to read those to us, and then we can have a brief dialogue and then move on. Not asking or making assumptions about sexual orientation and or gender, gender identity. Not asking personal questions about a patient's sex life and or activities that carry a health risk. Referring to a transgender person by the wrong pronoun. 
not acknowledging a transgender patient's gender preference, asking questions in a judgmental tone, not providing requested medical information to same-sex spouses, not respecting the right of same-sex spouses to make medical decisions if the patient is, is incapacitated. Uh, there are many programs around the country that, that, that uh, uh, seem to be on the forefront of doing these kind of work, uh, this kind of work. Uh, those include Northwestern, Mount Sinai, uh, even UC Davis. And, and uh, the provocative question is, why not us? Why can't we be on, on the same forefront? Uh, our CMO, uh, uh, when hearing this at, at the last meeting, uh, made a very appropriate and, uh, uh, comment, and it was about intention, is how, how can we move towards getting certification for, for uh, being a center uh, safe uh, for LGBTQ patients? And I, I think this is something, it goes back to the same word of intention. I, I, I think the easy part is we all believe uh, it, we, send, we tend to have a consensus on our, our belief about equity, and then it's about the intention rather than I gave it the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that, I'll open up to any comment on this article. I don't so much have a comment on the article, but on the incident, I do want to assure everybody that it was followed up with the nurse. And um, you know, his comment was there was no, no malice, there was no ill intent. It was, uh, you know, his response, well, it was inappropriate, and he recognizes that. Um, the other piece is that there is a task force being formed of a very diverse group of hospital employees, physicians, nurses, leaders, um, to look at sensitivity training and how do we introduce that to um, just part of our daily work and standard work. And so um, I think a lot will come out of that group. The excitement around that and the energy around that um, is palpable. So um, I, I look forward to being a part of that, Felicia's part of that, um, and, and we'll move forward to what the responses should be just routinely, how we conduct ourselves and not have to think about, oh, should I say that or not say that kind of a thing, so. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, it's the, Knowing doing gap, right? Like you know it's sometimes in your head, but when it comes to practice and also in in any kind of equity situation, like really kind of um, reiterating that intention is irrelevant. Like it really, nobody wants to know if you stepped on your toe. I didn't quite mean to step on your toe. You just have to say you're hurt, I'm sorry. So mm -hmm. it's the impact we are looking at. You know, it's not whether you meant it, you didn't mean it, and all of that. And as we, we've all, like the, the, those other levels we go through to get to that point where it becomes internalized and we are able to give that quality of care where we are beyond, we are constantly thinking what's the downstream impact of it, what's the pet side impact of it, what's the personal impact of it. So thank you for um, what's happening. Is there gonna be some, I mean, the certification is a big step, but like immediate training and things, because I, I think this has come up once before in front of the board too, that it our has. system is not as LGBTQ friendly uh, as we think we are. Mm. So again, I mean, I think this incidence is again, uh, we can consider it like a, a systemic issue because I got the training in LGBT in my previous job and then we, when we got the designation, so we are in discussion to see what is going to take us to get uh, this designation. I had discussion with Janet and uh, we're just exploring the plan and path forward to get this. Thank you. Mr. Espinoza. 
Uh, so I was just going to add that as the post-acute facilities are governed by state and federal regulations, in 2018, Title 22 made an amendment to one of their regulations indicating that LGBT training was required to the staff. And so mm -hmm. we've worked with HR, and we've actually contracted with an organization called Mariposa who does the training. So all of our employees in our post-acute setting, um, as of August 1st of 2018, have received uh, this mandated training. It's mandated to occur every two years, um, and within the first six months of a new hire, they cannot demonstrate that they've taken the training before. Um, it's a pretty in-depth um, and comprehensive training, and so I know that I've spoken. Tony was the one who helped us get this on board, and I know that he's been looking at how do we uh, do training on a more broad and global scale throughout the system, um, but we do have access to Mariposa, which offers the training for this. Mm -hmm. And it meets the state requirement uh, so that our staff are actually, they receive a certificate uh, for passing this course. Thank you. If I can add, uh, so I, I think this is all you know, uh, necessary stuff, and I think it's great that uh, we're focusing on it. Uh, one of the, in response to your question, which I think is a good question, like why, why not us? Um, I, I think in some respects we, we don't do as good of a job uh, as other places in tooting our own horn uh, in terms of some of the things that we are already doing that, that I think we should call more attention to, just like the example that uh, Richard just highlighted. Um, public hospitals in the state as a part of the um, the waiver, uh, Prime, uh, Prime in particular, have been uh, at the forefront of uh, requiring uh, the the collection of uh, SOGI data, sexual orientation and gender identity. And so in our clinic settings, we are actually already, uh, uh, we've been kind of at the fore of pushing a lot of the EHR companies at making these fields uh, uh, available and in some cases mandatory in EHR so that it is not an implicit assumption that you know you can uh, uh, identify somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity just at presentation which is often what happened you know you male female and sometimes even I mean we, we did that with uh, real to race and ethnicity where people were just assuming what what someone was uh, uh, that one was a little less uh, hard of a hurdle to cross because it wasn't so far in a notion that, that to validate someone's uh, race and ethnicity, whereas people, there's a fair amount of discomfort around people asking people about, to the point of one of the uh, things uh, that's the, the, the bad things like don't ask, um, uh, but people having uh, varying degrees of comfort around asking people about their uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, um, you know, how would they prefer to be uh, 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 referred to, uh, and I think we... I don't know our latest data. I have to look at it. I know we had a slow out-of-the-gate period, as, as a lot of other places did. And they, one of the places that's um, recognized here uh, out of Maryland was uh, really good at saying that their, their recommendations, as they've worked around the country with people, is, is to uh, make that conversation more of a provider-patient discussion, because then it's uh, clinically driven, but, but you know, still be working on the organization. So I think we, we're, doing, uh, we're doing that. We've been doing work around looking at our benefits package and making sure that it is uh, um, uh, reflective of embracing uh, uh, same-sex couples and benefits uh, for those individuals uh, and, those, uh, and those families. 
um, uh, we are now looking at, and I admit we're a little bit behind the curve, a lot of organizations like UCSF and others are doing these things with their employer uh, emails where people put you know, their own gender identity in their, in their uh, email signature. Uh, and we have some people like Rana, for example, has already taken the lead and does that with her own uh, signature. Uh, and I think a few other people I've seen as, uh, through communication, but we're working on something like that. So we still have a ways to go, and I want to make sure that we're consolidating these efforts so that we are going down that path of demonstrating that we have done a lot of good work and uh, uh, the additional gap that we can close to, to uh, get to training and cultural sensitivity uh, gets us there. Um, and it is more of an equity to continue this point, equity and inclusion. Because while this was a staff to patient incident that maybe triggered this discussion, I mean, it, it signals to our workforce uh, uh, what that may mean uh, for them as, as well as you know, individuals from uh, certain communities. And so we want to make sure that that's uh, reflected in, in what we do as well. So. Thank you, Thank you. I'll, I'll bring out one of my Texanisms. Luis will appreciate this. Dr. Bagmo, too. It ain't bragging if you're doing it. Uh, so, 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 you, if we're doing it, we should, we should, we should, we should, we should say so. Um, so, who who would be the identified executive champion of of such? Is is this in Janet's shop? Is this in your shop, Dr. J? Your your, your guy's shop. I think we're tag teaming. Oh, you're tag teaming. May may I give us four to six months and then ask for a report um, uh, back to us, maybe towards the top of the new year on what progress you've made? Is, is that acceptable? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll end with the last statement of this article. It only takes one person to create a really bad experience for somebody and create that atmosphere of discrimination. It only takes one person. So hopefully we can be better. With that, I'll close out um, item uh, C and we will go into item D, medical staff reports. Um, Dr. Ballard, do you mind taking the, the lead? Sure. Uh, we already presented our credentialing reports were approved. We had some non-physician contracts that were presented uh, during our MEC that were also approved. Um, we had uh, several order sets that were thankfully approved because they're going to uh, assist with the EPIC rollout this weekend. And that's probably the biggest piece of news. Saturday is the day. It's the day. It's the day. And um, I think everybody's uh, rightfully excited and a little anxious, but it's going to be awesome. And um, the probably the, the amount of effort that's gone into this, we're going to look back and go, wow. <laughs> you know? mm. If we can do this, we can do anything. So um, Saturday, the next time we meet, we'll have three plus weeks of success to report. So just prepare yourselves. We had um, of probably the biggest interest to a lot of the people here in the room, our GME report was presented. And um, we talked about the um, number of citations that have been received by both um, internal medicine and general surgery concert con, con, um, involving resident work hours. And um, that, I think, it generated a great deal of discussion. And luckily, there's already a group of people trying to address in a very formalized way some of these deficits that um, have got us under the magnifying glass with the ACGME 
who is the national accrediting body for residencies. So some of the things that uh, came up in the discussion and were the basis for these citation were that the residents had excessive administrative tasks, um, the lack of the uh, integrated EHR, which will be resolved as of Saturday, that uh, we had high census loads for the residents and that there had been a, a significant amount of pressure because of the amount of time we were in surge red and that there was bed paucity. Um, I think that they're on the administrative side, a, a dyad team is already working on trying to address some of these more detailed and, and um, salient factors that are contributing to the, the work experience of our residents and them being over hours. And the one thing I did add at the end of the presentation is that um, it seems that with the dynamic process and the number of residents we have in our institution, that it needs not just to be a task force, but an ongoing committee that would try to improve those conditions even when the red flags are taken down. The, I think the, you know, an added level of stress for all of us is that our internal medicine residency, particularly which is the one that's most vulnerable, vulnerable right now because of the citations, um, if we were to lose that, which would be the catastrophic part of all of this, it could happen then our emergency medicine residency couldn't exist here. And without emergency medicine, it would be really hard for our trauma program and our surgery program to justify level one trauma status without an emergency medicine group to work with us. So it would have a significant and severe domino effect to all this, a lot of the systems in the hospital. Um, but it sounds like we at least have Dr. Tornabeni and Janet, I'm gonna start calling them Laurel and Hardy or something. Um, but they're always together. <laughs> but they're doing fantastic work. And yeah. Teresa Cooper, who is not here right now, but the three of them together are like the three musketeers and they're solving all the problems in the world, it looks like. They are, they are pulling together and kind of taking this apart bit by bit and trying to help improve it from that standpoint. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that generated conversation and... and concern over our last open session of MEC was the residency issues. Is the two-year warning status by the ACGME, like that seems a very um, excessive, uh, not excessive, I mean that seems like a serious kind of status to have, like is there some that you're I think provisional? That I, if, and I, Dr. Baden, you might want to correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that it's the next to the worst thing that can happen. I think the next thing is probation, and yes. then it's... Yeah. So we're, we're two steps away from losing the residency. Is that, is that right? Yeah, we use the citation and then... we had was um, about exceeding our cap. Um, so there's a ACGME stipulation that if you have one resident and one intern on a team that together they can't take care of more than 14 patients at a time. 
and just with our increasing volumes, we have our services are just, especially our specialty services, are overburdened with number of patients. And so, to address that concern, we have the attendings um, essentially rounding on a subset of patients on their own that have become sort of non-teaching patients, and many of our high volume specialties like ID, renal, cardiology. Um, and so there have been lots of changes made, and we just submitted um, an opus of sorts to the ACGME that uh, Dr. Indus Subramanian and her team um, completed addressing all the concerns. But I think, um, I think we could expect that we are going to receive a, a site visit from the ACGME given, given the severity of the concerns and, and the number of them. And Duty hours especially is like the most important thing that they're really getting aggressive about this year in particular. And how do how does one like in the corrective plan mitigate the clerical work that they have to do? Is it like now with EHR it'll become less or how so would I think this speaks out? to the work that has been done in the dyad meetings that Felicia and Janet and Teresa have been participating with with our program leadership. Um, it was a number of changes have been made. For instance, very uh, concrete job descriptions have been revisited for our unit clerks for care management. So now that the residents aren't faxing ambulance forms, the clerks are. The residents aren't requesting outside medical records, the clerks are. We, care management is addressing their piece from an administrative standpoint. Whereas before, there was a lot of pushback um, and a lot of this work is falling on the residents. So some of that was just simple work around clarifying job descriptions and we've gotten good feedback since these changes have been put into place that indeed they're not being asked to do this work any longer. Okay. And the other thing is just some awareness around the duty hours. How many hours have you worked? You know, what can I do to get you out early? Those things. Yeah. Tr Trustee Johnson. How um, this? How unique is this situation? Has this ever happened before? Have we ever violated? How yeah. This is not a At unique situation. Okay. There are several. I think uh, several. Uh, uh, programs across the nation that are facing similar citations because um, they really cracked down this year. Um, but this was in response to our ACGME survey as well. So um, this is not a unique situation. These are the important things that happen to make us aware of changes that we need to make within our program. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity for us to make these improvements. We need to take it very seriously. Um, and I think we have, and I'm proud of our team's work around jumping into action and really creating a plan. And actually, the ACGME will be able to see, and I think this is in our favor, the plan is already in place and it's already working to mitigate some of these concerns. And I think that will that will be important. And so, is there a follow-up survey, or um, we are we do our own? We do two surveys every year. We do an internal survey and we do a formal ACGME survey. So yes, there will be a follow-up survey. We are constantly talking to the residents and chief residents about how the plans are working. We are um, we monitor the duty hours on an ongoing basis. I think what happened is what they were reporting to us in duty hours and then what they reported in their survey to the ACGME were two very different things, so it wasn't brought to our attention. And it's because the, the platform that we use for them to report their duty hours, which they have to do every day, um, gives them an alert if they go, like, you are going over your duty hours. And our, and our residents' response to that was to just put in different hours instead of putting the hours that they actually work. And so there was a discrepancy between what they were reporting to us in duty hours and then what they reported in their survey because of this, this you know, warning they got. And so we've re-educated them that we actually want them to record the hours they're working 
so that we can track this very carefully and that it doesn't come to a surprise to us on the ACGME survey that they've been going over there. And that they're not penalized by the warning. Exactly. Not, it, the warning is there so yeah. we can make change in real time. And so I think now they're more aware of that and appreciative of that. Thank you, Dr. Baden. Mm -hmm. Dr. Blark. So I, I will say having trained in a state-run hospital and having worked only in Kelly Hospital since then, there actually is a culture of expectation amongst workers in these types of settings that the residents are part of the workforce. And I can, I can see how important it is to try to do the work that you know, the, the dyad team is doing now because it, it really is a culture shift for the, for the nurses to realize the residents aren't there to serve them, for the clerks to understand the residents aren't there to serve them, and the residents, I mean, I was pre-hour work weeks, so that shows you how old I am. And I, you know, there was plenty of times that a clerk would to go tell me to go do something, and I was like, yes, ma'am, and I'd go do it. You know, so it's, it's not, I mean, the fact that they even have a venue now to, to speak up and say, we kind of aren't having time to read. I think it's wonderful that that exists these days. Um, but we really do have to kind of bring our hospital now culturally to an age where residents should get to read and they should have time to sleep. And, and it's a big culture shift, so the work is absolutely necessary. And it's not just here, it's everywhere that we've had to change that expectation of residences and residencies and people in training. Dr. Ballard, any other further comments on your report? No, that's it. Thank you. Um, Dr. Ballard, uh, in, in my standard question, your top concerns. At, at the last meeting, you uh, rank listed your top concerns as number one, diversity, number two, trust, number three, Sapphire. Can you update us to what your ranked list top concerns are as of today? It, number one, still diversity, and I, and I really appreciate your highlighting LGBTQ issues. I will say that diversity is a bigger topic. Um, being a woman in surgery, I could, can't even begin to start because I'll never stop, um, even now. And so I think that's the tip of the iceberg, and I really hope that we can encompass all of diversity at some point with our process. I would say since Saturday's go live, I've been a bump sapphire up to number two. Okay. And number three is going to be trust between med staff and executives because at, I think that that's a work in progress and we really, really, really have a lot of work to do. Excellent. But we're in a golden era when if we can do it, we're going to change the, cor the direction of the way we move into the next decade of healthcare here. Agreed. So number one, diversity. Number two, epic. Number three, trust. Thank you for your report, Dr. Ballard. Um, Dr. Ingenu, tell us how things are going on, uh, going at San Leandro Hospital. I think things are going reasonably well. Uh, you know, in terms of um, my mic on. Yeah, you're on. Um, our committee has met the, the leadership committee. We didn't meet this month because of the epic um, transition that's that's happening. Um, there's still a number of things that need to be worked out in terms of the involvement of the committee in the QRC process. But there really can only be, and we're working this out with, with Dr. Hussein, there really can only be one QRC committee for each department. There can't be something at San Leandro and something else um, at Highland. It's all one 
medical staff, and so that should be reviewed in that way. I think uh, the things that have to be looked at realistically are there are a number of physicians at San Leandro that will not go to a departmental QRC meeting at Highland because they're, they're really not able to or there's not the bandwidth. And the goal of the committee is still to have discussion of salient cases at the time relative to the facility, perhaps at the time of divisional meetings. Um, so they, there can still be some learning there. Um, and as a committee, the physician leadership committee really has to also keep an eye on the medical staff there. I, I mean, I realize everyone's looking at, at um, uh, system-wide issues to try to keep quality, but but individuals need to still be monitored if there are certain issues or trends that suggest problems, and I don't think that should be discounted at all. Um, and so there haven't been any issues recently. There have been in the past, and I think things have been going fairly smoothly now. But the goal of that, that committee will also to be to monitor those things. Um, I think the, uh, the epic transition is still a concern there, as it is everywhere, and that still would be my number one concern if you're going to ask me those three questions. Um, uh, I think, you know, having just done the physician, um, what was the second epic training, the uh, special personalization committee, I think the expectations of that, from my perspective, um, and from a number of the San Leandro physicians' perspective, were very poorly delineated. I think everyone, my expectation was, and having used EPIC, that I could go there and then personalize the things that I needed to personalize for my EPIC, and it was really not that at all. And that's why I think a number of the, the San Leandro physicians reported back to me this was not very helpful, that particular meeting. It was much more of a broad overview of how you could do it, and I think the expectations a lot of people were help me get my personalized things done today in my two hours. Not, well, this is kind of how you do it. Now spend this time there. And, and I brought it to the attention of the, the EPIC trainers, too, that you, know, you sort of gave this broad overview of how to personalize this stuff. And then you said, well, we're going to have all these people here to help you do it, which I get when we're doing the transition. What you can't discount is that people are too busy to do that while you're taking care of the patients many times. Um, and so I think the expectations were, were different for some of the physicians, and that's why I got some negative feedback about these, these personalization things. Now, it turns out if you've been using Epic somewhere in other places, you can kind of Figure move things over somewhat. Um, and so that, that's helpful. Um, but I, I still think there are going to be challenges when, because it, it's very labor intensive to set up all these personalized templates. Um, it takes a long time to do that, to get them really tuned. So I think there, I still am going to have concerns. I expect I'm going to get feedback from some, some folks, although most of the physicians have used Epic at the Sutter system. Okay. So, um, those were sort of the main concerns. I, I mean, I still have a concern, and we still had some discussions about the OR volume. I think. You know, it's going to involve engagement of some of the community physicians more, as I've said multiple times here at this venue, at this forum, you know, to keep that volume up, um, to, to keep the volume of elected cases up, because that's, that could be the lifeblood of the facility, and, you know, both financially and, and, uh, and otherwise. Um, and it's not just vascular from our group, but I, I think engaging more of the other uh, specialties would be very helpful. Um, because depending on just cases that come into the emergency room that, that go to the operating room, 
that, that's going to be somewhat limited. It's, it's necessary to keep the facility as an acute care facility to have that. But, you know, as Dr. Ballard will tell you, sometimes there aren't that many cases that go through the emergency department just on call. So you want to keep the OR busy with, with uh, other elective things. Okay. Um, so, and those really are some of the things that are concerns over there. So the three things you're going to ask me. Yeah, I am going to ask. So I'll remind you what you said last time. Number one, nurse staffing. Number two, Sapphire Epic. Number three, OR volume, in that order. Um, so I think I, the nurse staffing issue, I think, appears to be less of a problem um, now. For whatever reason, maybe the volumes are down or the staffing is better. And with the beds coming up online on the third floor, you know, hopefully that will be um, improved dramatically. Um, the, uh, I think still Sapphire is going to be number one this transition period, which should ultimately work itself out. And the second one um, I mentioned was probably the, the OR volumes and the keeping that elective uh, work continued. Those are the two that I think I would make the most point about. Yes. Trustee Jensen. Dr. Antonio, can you comment with regard to the, the nurse staffing and um, the, the reorganization that happened in the ED about six months ago? Has that been it? So th that's worked out, you know, from our last meeting with um, the, the ED director, uh, physician, um, uh, Dr. Sally, the, um, I think there's been a transition. The new, there's a new nursing director of the ED, which has dramatically changed a lot of things, and I think has helped. I think there's been an erosion of the, the other ancillary services to help with placement to social services, and there, there were a number of people that were lost that probably aren't going to come back, and that's going to be potentially still problematic ongoing until new good staff is, is obtained. Um, but um, I think that those nursing issues are better. I haven't heard more complaints about the, the John George Holt, which were a problem because they were just holding a number of ED beds and keeping patients down there. Um, for, for prolonged periods of time. I mean, it's, it's nothing, I mean, it was almost unheard of to ever have a patient stay down in the ED and not go up to the floor for 24 hours. You know, I mean, that, that doesn't happen over there. You know, I mean, it just doesn't. And it shouldn't in that location with the, the facility there. So um, I think that's improving, and I'll certainly get back to you after our next meeting when I talk to after Sally. I can add a little bit to that. They, they, um, Dr. Uh, Jamalani and I were out there last week, I believe it was. Last Friday. Uh, last Friday. And, uh, yes. And uh, so to the John George piece, uh, um, they, they, or the behavior health goals, they're still happening, uh, uh, and they still do impact uh, um, throughput. Uh, the staff are, I think, working well to, to uh, manage this situation. Um, but they, they, they don't. I think what we kind of walked away from seeing was that they they aren't uh, necessarily persistent, but when they do happen, there there can be a couple and they can last for quite a while. So it's still an opportunity. What the solution is 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 not entirely um, uh, clear at this point. The new nurse uh, manager um, uh, that was uh, referenced earlier, she she has some thoughts on that and she shared some ideas with us so that we were kind of um, viewing her ideas through a lens of other stuff that we're trying to do across both uh, community sites, Alameda and San Leandro, and so I think there's still more work to be done there, but uh, it did seem that on balance, kind of consistent with what you said, that things are 
things I, seem to be stabilizing in this space overall. And one other thing that you might notice I didn't mention was the strike last Friday. Um, because there really, I mean, there were some things that were put into place to keep the flows, the OR was very much toned down to just emergencies. But things went, I think, from my experience, working fairly smoothly. There weren't really no major issues during that. When does the third floor um, beds um, start, you know, when, when does that go into effect? Mr. Fonseca. The third floor? Uh, Beds. Yeah, that we're we're, look, we're targeting at this point. It's going to be sometime in November. This is all tied into the licensing of the rehab facility, so it all will happen at the same time. And so we're working through that. Um, Richard, in fact, and his team are leading that effort. And so we're we're targeting um, about mid-November for that uh, for that transition. Awesome. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to add, I think, when those beds come online, and we've talked about this as well, I I think if we're going to be equal across the system. Uh, it's one of the few locations, Alameda too, that doesn't have private rooms. And I think with having those extra beds, there is the ability. There's cost. You're spreading the patients around to two different floors. But if you want to keep the patient satisfaction scores there, most of the other facilities have private rooms. And so that ability is there when the beds are open, when the rooms are open, to spread the patients out if possible. And, and I would encourage that. And, and I think that certain physicians have lost patients to other facilities because of that exact occurrence at San Leandro. So. Dr. Ingenio, thank you for your report. Okay. Um, with that, we'll close out Dr. Uh, Joseph Marzouk from Alameda Hospital. Dr. Marzouk. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, Dr. Marzouk. Oh, okay. Uh, we've gone through credentialing and privileging, and uh, we also uh, provided uh, privilege forms for optometrists and ophthalmologists considering that uh, they uh, are primarily utilizing long-term care facilities, which is under our umbrella. Uh, in terms of, uh, I should uh, say, echo a lot of uh, Dr. Ingenio's uh, comments about uh, Sapphire. Uh, we, uh, the the initial training was fine, but the personalization labs, I, I must admit, I received several comments uh, saying that they were not what was expected, you know. Uh, and uh, with some, some uh, concern for going live, uh, the strike uh, uh, went well in terms of our preparation, our lack of, of uh, uh, any transfers to our facility, and uh, things went well. And I'd like to, you know, commend the administration and all the efforts that were done for that. Um, uh, the uh, the only uh, I think Sapphire is the main issue that uh, took our uh, uh, and uh, with Sapphire another issue was which will markedly improve. Uh, was the transfer process, and I think that's uh, and that's something that's built into Sapphire and will will uh, revolutionize how uh, the cooperation between all the hospitals in the system and transferring to and fro. So those were the the main issues. Got it. What about and the I should I should just add that. Uh, 
uh, one of uh, our GI coverage uh, for 24-hour uh, GI coverage was uh, terminated. The contract with the uh, uh, with uh, the individual physician that uh, was uh, that means that uh, he's he's on our staff and can see patients. But it would uh, the concern is if there's something major that requires intervention. Uh, let's say middle of the night, uh, an acute upper GI bleed, where uh, someone would need to intervene. Uh, then we would have to consider transferring him to an institution where he can get that care. Dr. J, comments on this? Uh, this was uh, a Medicare uh, fraud indictment. It was more of a legal decision about this, and uh, uh, I think our about contract. About the provider? Yes. Uh, there was a Medicare legal, and there is a. Uh, there is a point in the contract that uh, doesn't allow this contract to continue, and uh, that was that was what happened uh, with that specific situation. We, uh, you know, he is continuing to uh, to be credential and providing care at San Leandro and Alameda Hospital, and he is receiving his uh, epic trainings sometimes. So, as far as uh, uh, HS, I think. Uh, there was a legal breach in the contract because of this indictment. Well, what about the patient uh, situation then? If there is, like, sometimes in terms of like not having coverage, adequate coverage right now, right? Is that so? Is that how is that being mitigated? So I've been working with uh, Dr. Bouquet and the chair of uh, medicine, Dr. Baden, to see what. We can do to provide uh, to provide coverage, and I have worked with uh, uh, with Doctor uh, uh, the coverage uh, the Doctor who covers San Leandro to cover any nights at San Leandro in case this is needed. Uh, it, it seems the physician has continued to cover on his own because he has his own assigned billing, and uh, and he has uh, continued to cover Alameda Hospital. He has. Uh, Send me an email actually uh, recent saying that he is going to address the medical staff. Are there any other um, coverage issues that you brought up in the past neurology and um, surgery a couple of years ago was an issue? Uh, surgery? Well, that was about yeah. two years ago. When that's that's <laughs> another contract that's issue. Contract yeah. and uh, uh, no, uh, nothing uh, new uh, except the, the GI coverage. Neurology coverage is is. I mean, we we have it, uh, uh, and uh, no other changes. Doctor J, you had some comments. Uh, y uh, yes, uh, uh, as related to question of Trustee Jensen, uh, we are looking very closely at uh, areas of shortage. We have uh, some urology shortage, so we have one day. I'm, I'm trying to get more days. It has been very challenging to recruit a urologist uh, with an AHP. Uh, we still have a position posted, and I'm trying to uh, 
get one of the San Leandro group to cover for urology. Uh, we have had gaps at times uh, with the neurology when uh, the uh, Alameda Hospital neurologist goes on vacation and uh, uh, Dr. Baden and, and the chief of neurology here have, have helped and they are credentialed currently. Uh, and we are looking also into the future in having uh, tele, tele neurology. So we, we look closely at this. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Tunabin has been meeting with the chairs, uh, huddling on a regular basis and addressing all these issues. So that would, it, it, those options wouldn't jeopardize the stroke center status? It should not. I just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I haven't heard any, you know, no. Felicia? No. no. I mean, everything is still yeah. a go, yeah. Okay. Um, trustees, any other further questions of Dr. Marzouk? So, Dr. Marzouk, I think we heard from you at last time your rank order list of concerns was number one, Sapphire, and number two, the transfer process, and those remain your, your, your top concerns in that? Yes. Uh, 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 yes. Okay. And uh, hopefully things will resolve the next one. Excellent. Okay. With that, we will close out item D, and we will go into item E. Uh, welcome back to Mr. Espinoza to give us the SBU quality metric report on post-acute. His uh, very well-written document begins on page 178 of the packet. So Richard, an exciting time for us. Uh, Saturday will be here soon enough. And yes. uh, just an update, at 4.30 today, the post-acute should be 100% with all the backload for all of our patients. So all the care plans, medication orders, registration, admissions, assessments for all of our current uh, residents will be done. So that way when we go live, we are up and ready to go. So uh, a lot of work has happened with our teams. Uh, access, we've had, uh, I gave a little synopsis of fiscal year 19. We had a really strong year. We uh, ended the year ahead of budget in terms of patient days, ahead of budget for discharges and variance for um, occupancy. We're 1% ahead of budget. Average length of stay was down. Um, and we're ahead of budget on our BTUs and therapy. So there's been a lot of work with our rehab managers ensuring that they're capturing the BTUs in our uh, rehab spaces at Highlands, San Leandro, Alameda, um, and a lot of work with our rehab care contract that oversees our acute rehab unit, just ensuring that they're guiding us as well in some of those training methodologies. Um, the one thing that we're really excited about is that we've been to work on our outpatient therapy wait list. And as you remember, we were at 104 days and over 2,600 patients, and now we're at 37.7 days. So it's been a lot of work that that rehab team has done and our physicians have done and in collaboration and our registration departments. And so that's been a great success that team has been able to accomplish, and we're down to about 995 patients. So still higher than what we would like it to be but dramatically um, improved from where it was. Uh, for the year, our BTUs were ahead of budgets for PT and OT, and for July and August, we're also ahead of budget. So that helps us understand that we're capturing the treatments that we're giving to our patients and ensuring that we're receiving the uh, reimbursement for that. Uh, our occupancy rate, as I had mentioned, uh, currently is at 97%. So we, as we have been doing, is uh, a really strong focus on throughput. Mm -hmm. uh, we are having a redesignation of the six Fairmont subacute beds um, to sniff beds. 
really to help with that throughput. That census has traditionally been lower than the six, and we do see a need for SNF heads. And so that'll be happening here shortly in the next uh, three to four months. Uh, we also finished in our throughput post-acute our uh, partnership with uh, our community partners. And we did a lot of work in terms of assessing their quality measures, assessing their return to the hospital rates, their quality measures. Uh, so there were over 30 facilities that applied to be our partners and based on our review of the quality measures, their surveys, their staffing, um, we had a benchmark criteria that was similar to CMS's criteria for the CJR. And we ended up with 22, which is still a lot, but we want to make sure that with our throughput issues where they currently are, that we have access because all of those facilities tend to have five to four beds. So we want to make sure that we're, we have access to as many of those beds as possible. So we had our first meeting in September. It was a good meeting to kind of lay out the foundation and expectations. And we were having monthly meetings with that group. Uh, under our quality measures, the last report we had uh, shared the May findings and now I'm sharing September. So of the 10 that we were monitoring for Fairmont and Alameda, we've seen either steady uh, for one, but we've done better in eight of those metrics. And so the teams have really been focusing on that. And so uh, a lot of work has been happening. We're doing continuing to work a lot with our physicians at Fairmont in terms of reporting <laughs> a moderate pain we do have a population that does have some um, pain-seeking and med-seeking, um, but we want to balance that with needs versus um, being uh, cautious with uh, prescribing those types of meds. I'll move down to surveys. Uh, the Alameda sites have had three <coughs> surveys since June. I think that was one of my concerns that I mentioned in May, is that we were having seven surveys over the course mm -hmm. of the summer. We've had uh, we just finished survey today at about 10 minutes ago for Fairmont, uh, and they will end uh, with lower findings than this data average. We look, it looks like about seven to eight deficiencies. Data average is 12.8. Um, we had a Title 22 survey, which resulted in two findings for three buildings, which is over 171 buildings. We had our CMS survey, which I'm really proud of. We had 14 surveyors at three buildings over the course of three days, digging in our charts talking to residents, um, and they found three minor findings. So our Alameda team did a great job, our Fairmont team did a great job that ended today. Um, a lot of work considering we're also doing backload in Epic, we're doing surveys at the same time. Uh, so uh, kudos to that team, they've done remarkable work. Uh, we also had a life safety survey, which is also a requirement. They had five minor findings across the three buildings which is pretty spectacular for having buildings as old as they are. So uh, penetrations in the wall, things of that nature that they're looking at, small penetrations in the wall. So, uh, so a, a great outcome for uh, the buildings. Um, the requirements of participation, phase one, phase two have happened already. Phase three will happen November 28th. And so the teams have been working on that since phase two, which was last year. So we actually are ahead of the curve having implemented uh, all the changes that we need to do for phase three. So uh, things around ethics committees, around um, infection control specialists in the buildings. Um, there are many different uh, areas that we've already addressed. So we're ahead of target on that. And the surveyors today had mentioned that uh, during the survey that we've already met those requirements at this point. 
Uh, one piece of work that we've done extensively with uh, EPIC has been PDPM, which is the new methodology of reimbursement for our Medicare patients. We used to have what's, or we currently have what's called PPS, Prospective Payment System. Uh, CMS is trying to implement a standard methodology for reimbursement for post-acute, which would include our uh, acute rehab facilities, long-term care hospitals, SNFs, subacutes, and so we're moving from what's called rug-based resource, utiliza resource utilization groups to CMI, I think which more closely matches the hospitals. And that'll go into effect October 1st. So not only are we moving to EPIC, but we're also having CMS changes happening. And so we work closely with the EPIC team to make sure that those changes were built into the EPIC system to ensure that we're compliant with those uh, changes happening October 1st. Uh, for falls, we ended uh, the year of 19 slightly ahead of target, but we are below target for July at 1.5. Um, and so the teams have worked really hard on ensuring that we're monitoring falls, interventions for falls. We've uh, implemented a 48-hour care plan for uh, residents upon their admission. So we're, we're identifying issues and implementing um, interventions early. Happies, we've ended at 0% for July, so a great improvement from where we ended uh, at 0.23% for all sites. And the acute rehab, so when we talk about things that keep me up at night, that's one of the, the more current things that is keeping me up, not because I'm concerned it's not going to happen, but just it's going to happen here shortly, right? So we've had a, a series of big milestones happening here, epic surveys. Um, and now the acute rehab will be our next focus. We've been working on this uh, a lot. We have weekly meetings and then we have subcommittees in our meetings. So uh, phase one, uh, just in terms of licensing, happened already with San Leandro. We've sent the application for phase two, which is for the actual move. Uh, we're looking for the actual move to happen on December 8th. We're waiting for CDPH to notify us if that's a date that they will agree with. Um, we don't see that there would be any reason why they wouldn't, but we've done extensive work. Um, we're working closely with the physicians at San Leandro and our acute rehab physicians to make sure that we're integrating workflows and adopting uh, some changes that we currently uh, do, such as calling 911. We will no longer be doing that since we, are, well, we will be in a hospital. Um, and just working on workflows, which physicians will manage the patients, which physicians manage patients during an emergency, um, and so we work closely um, with both teams. So a lot of work happening. We are looking at having, having, having an open house on November 13th. And so you all will be coming, I hope. Uh, the unit looks spectacular. It's great. Uh, I know our patients are going to be pleased and our staff will be pleased. And so uh, it, we give great care now. Uh, it just will give us uh, an opportunity to kind of shine more in our, our physical plant as well. So we're excited about that. It's kind of a quick and overview of post-acute for the last uh, four months. Any questions? Thank you. Thank you for your report. Very well-written narrative. Um, trustees, any questions? Thank you for your work, Richard, and, and your team's work. I mean, just so much packed into the last four months. Yes. Uh, you know, if it was just one of those, that would have been enough. <laughs> All of those. My hair is coming out. So. <laughs> um, so, did you have something? I was going to say, here. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Richard, um, a very well-written narrative. Do you actually have a dashboard, too, as well? I do. I okay. don't know if we have it. Uh, just for next time, please include that. And I'm, sure. I guess my question is, uh, are there dashboard items in the new fiscal which are different from old fiscal? Have you have you changed any of your targets? Well, we, actually, we actually didn't change it yeah, for it looks this the one. Same. Um, but we, and part of that is because we're going to be looking very closely at our quality measures. That's, CMS has also changed the quality measures that are going into effect, and we will be able to closely monitor those measures through EPIC. Okay, um, it's excellent. one of the things that we've built in the system yeah. to match the changes that occurred within the last four months. Yeah. So it may not be on the, on the dashboard that we're presenting, but it will be on our post-acute dashboard that we're looking at on a monthly basis. Yeah, uh, so I invite you to put that in because there will probably be a lot of green on it, and it ain't bragging if you're doing it. Yeah, okay. we're doing great work. So okay. the, team, the team's working really hard. We're very... At, at your last June presentation, you ranked listed your top concerns as number one, employee engagement, number two, Sapphire, number three, the CMS surveys. As of today, where do you sit with your rank list of concerns in rank order? I still think employee engagement. I think we've had, as was mentioned, we're, there's a lot happening, right? And so we want to make sure that we're not stretching our folks too much. Um, but finding that balance of celebrating things as well as working hard. So that still is one of my concerns. Uh, the surveys, uh, we have two left, so I'm not too worried two about left, that. Two left? Two of... Uh, not worried about that So any you're at five of seven? <laughs> okay, got it. Yes, so, and, and they've all gone really well, so I'm not too concerned about that. Um, and I would say just the move now, the acute rehab move, just making sure that goes smoothly. That's your number third, the move. Yep. Okay. Thank you for your work and your, and your hard work. Thank you. With that, we will close out item E. Uh, we will move into item F, the Patient Safety and Regulatory Affairs Report. This begins on uh, the packet uh, page uh, 185 of the document. I believe Dr. Jamaluddin is giving this report. Dr. Uh, Dr. J, can you tell us where Dr. Hussein is? Why is he not present here today? Okay. Uh, Dr. Hussein is uh, attending the beta meeting uh, in South California. Um, we are uh, being recognized as a media health system for our safety work in the emergency department and obstetrics and gynecology. Uh, and in addition, Dr. Hussein is leading uh, a session and giving lectures on uh, vulnerability and courage in leadership. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's where he is now. Yeah. Excellent. Um, with that, um, please uh, walk us through the the, uh, the, the report. The report. Uh, can you please give me the page? Again? One eight one eight five uh, is the is the face page, and then one eight six is where the data starts. Uh, yeah. So uh, I just uh, you know we had uh, you know some discussion about the analytics, and there is a little bit of change in the report. I had the opportunity to uh, communicate. Uh, with Dr. Hussein in terms of uh, what you call the analytic dissonance between what is reported by the uh, by the medical staff and uh, by the uh, like uh, the operation uh, events, he will give more clarity about about this in the in the future meeting. Uh, we had two events uh, that reached on to the patients. One. Uh, uh, happened in August and uh, it was reported where there was in the dental clinic an extraction of the wrong tooth of the patient. So um, this was uh, investigated and uh, you know corrective action uh, plan 
has been put in place to, to prevent uh, this from occurring. There were some gaps in uh, supervision in the timeout process and uh, in the evaluation and uh, uh, like optimization of the patient scheduling. Our uh, dental clinic is a very high uh, flow clinic and uh, this was a very unfortunate event. Uh, currently, uh, dental is under the Department of Surgery and also under the operational uh, leadership of Dr. Babaria. So uh, we have uh, escalated the supervision of this clinic and we are working on really huge restructuring. Uh, we have changed in leadership currently. We are looking for a dental chief. Uh, the, the position is posted and we have uh, some good candidates who are applying to dental clinic. Just to tell you about the dental clinic, uh, we cover also, uh, we, are part, uh, we have a dental residency program, which is one of the, uh, again, busy residency program in California. And uh, in addition, we, are, we have partnership with the University of the Pacific in maxillofacial, and we are an important site for their training. And uh, they both operate in this, in, this, in this space. The second event was uh, related to an elopement in, in, in Fairmont. Um, maybe, maybe, Richard, you want to talk about this elopement event? Sure. Uh, we had a patient who was admitted to the acute rehab unit from Highland. And she uh, had a TBI and was able to make some decisions. She had a car accident, she was 35 years old. And um, she, during the day, was going down for therapy. The therapy team was with uh, some other residents, so she went back upstairs. When they went back to get her, she was missing from the facility. So we know where she's at, she's fine. We're helping to place currently into a lower level of care. Um, but we've done a lot of training and in servicing just around uh, vulnerabilities in terms of wander guard, things of that nature. Thank you. Uh, as to the regulatory uh, uh, affairs, uh, I mean, Nilda is here and she can, uh, she can also complement whatever I want to say. But the most important thing to apprise the board about is that our plan of correction for John George was accepted by the CMS. And uh, there has been tremendous amount of effort and uh, very close oversight from uh, Mr. Fonseca, from uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Janet McInnes and uh, Dr. Tortnavin on a regular basis uh, meeting there. And uh, also uh, Tanvir uh, has been also with his team almost like there almost every day looking at the performance improvement uh, the plan and uh, recording all the changes that are being done at, uh, at John George. We had another corrective action plan related to Alameda Hospital and uh, this has been going uh, very well. We are expecting validation surveys for both of these uh, citations. Nilda, do you want to add anything? Um, yes, the Alameda team, um, their plan of correction was accepted, and so we expect them any Monday. We're actually there at a minimum of twice a week, um, just doing knowledge skill assessments, quizzing the staff, preparing them for surveyor questions. Um, it's a model that we will also be doing at uh, John George. Um, I feel, um, I think that we um, still, I think it's a little bit 
uh, nerve-wracking that we're transitioning from Sorian to Epic because even right now we're having difficulty pulling out some of the um, orders um, and being able to find the elements that we would want to audit and track uh, in relation to the findings um, around medication orders and so in verbal orders. So I think we will um, we will see how it goes. Once we go live in Epic, we know it's going to be a different model and probably easier, but it's still, we, we can't validate that and trust that and, and test it out in advance. So we're just going to be right there Monday morning, ready to go. So Nilda, one more time, if you'll sure. clarify uh, how you envision kind of the pathway just so the board can be yeah. clear about surveying, mm -hmm. anticipated site mm -hmm. visits, that, how, how you would project, and sure. just a projection. Oh yes, I actually had this discussion the other day. So um, we expect that Alameda will be first, and I recently found out that the district office here does a cadence where one week they do survey, the following week they do prep or follow up from that survey, and then the next week's survey. So if they go to Alameda this week, we have informed them about our go live of Epic. They're very well aware, so we would hope they'd be kind and not come. But if they come this week, then the following week we would not expect them at either facility, and the soonest we would see them would be in approximately two to three weeks at John George. Okay. And and uh, the prep for that survey, you is the is the work that we've alluded to. So the work the work groups, the um, process mapping, the implementation. We actually meet um, with the John George staff three times a week mm -hmm. currently. Um, because we've, Alameda is much further along uh, toward their survey uh, um, implementation and their plan of correction. Uh, we have two days where we do um, chart audits to validate and to create a dashboard similar to what's in the packet for Alameda. Mm -hmm. We'll have that data, I believe, from Annette. We'll have that at the end of September. We'll have something to show um, surveyors. And then we are there um, one day a week with the executive leaders, Felicia and Janet, could probably speak to their work with the leadership providers and nursing um, on QAPI, Quality Assurance Performance Improvement. And they're very engaged, they're very visible, and then Dr. Hussein as well is rounding in the facility. And Luis has also participated in those QAPI meetings. Uh, and, and not holding it to, to it, sure. but uh, what is your qualitative sense of your confidence of us, of our organization's ability to negotiate? the Alameda Hospital oh, survey. Um, Alameda Hospital, I feel fairly confident. Um, Very good. We actually have been uh, closely aligned with Ronica's educators, uh, providing them the questions that I know that a surveyor is required to ask of staff, Excellent. and uh, that's been part of the KSAs, and so they've been, they use that to educate them. They did a little bit of a cheat sheet for them, and we've been quizzing them, and they've been actually very good about pointing out where things are documented, knowing when they're supposed to document something, and answering those questions. So it's really, um, I feel they're much more confident in speaking with the surveyor, and that goes a long way. Yeah, I, I just want to uh, thank the medical staff in both surveys. They have been extremely engaged. Uh, the physicians at Alameda Hospital, uh, the chairs, uh, the AIM group at Alameda Hospital and at John George, the uh, Dr. Siddhartha and, and uh, Dr. Vilania, Dr. Mukherjee, the medical staff has been so engaged in this corrective action plan. I just want to take this opportunity to thank them. Kudos to them. And as for the other survey, can you walk us through your projection of that? Um, as the other survey, um, we've had really um, good engagement with CDPH around uh, the plan of correction, around some of the uh, notifications of the leadership changes, and that they're in the middle of a transformative uh, phase. Yeah. Um, the, um, we are 
I, we were um, very pleased to see that they um, accepted our plan of correction so quickly. Uh, that's never been the pattern there. So we feel really confident that all the work that the executive leaders have done to support that work, the frontline staff were very engaged in the town halls. I think they're going to see something, a positive change when they come out. Okay. And I think we might be a little clunky in the way that we um, can demonstrate some of that with some of the documentation, but um, I think they will see a positive change. So I'm feeling very optimistic. Um, about I, our ability and about our ability, yes, to I be am. successful in that survey. Correct. And I, I think that, you know, doc, I know that Dr. Hussain has been talking with Dr. Dr. Jamal Dean and to Mr. Del Vecchio about having some other conversations with uh, CDPH and um, laying the foundation for that um, unanimous and solidarity around um, the performance of John George that we are really um, committed to their success. What's your forecast on the, the timelining of this kind of stuff? And again, yeah. besides being a weather person, I get yeah. it. Um, Before knowing, end of year? Yeah. Well, oh, definitely. Before because, Thanksgiving? Yeah, they, they are required. Before Thanksgiving, Got definitely. I, my, my thought would be mid-October. Got it. Would be like if I'm going to do my my my, my little crystal ball, I'm yeah. going to say mid-October. Got it. Yeah. Okay. No later. Trustees, any questions so far? Um, I, I, again, uh, kudos to the safety and compliance and quality team. I want to bring uh, the trustees' attention to a couple of elements in, in this. So on, on page 188 of the document, uh, there is a, uh, uh, Dr. Hussein and I had a nice discussion. We are now trending by event. Uh, remember, by sorry, by harm category. We weren't really previously doing that. So th this is going to be, this is going to populate for us so we can say how many I events, how many H events, how many G events, and the like. I think this is an important thing. Uh, uh, again, kudos to the quality team because I know this is a lot of data management. That's, that's very, very important. The, the, the next, so we'll be able to track that uh, inf information for the board as to trending and the, and the like. The, the next item I want to bring everyone's attention to is on page 191 of the document, and that's the causal investigation. That was another discussion I had with Dr. Hussein. Uh, we had discussion about vulnerability and saying what we are capable of and where our, where our vulnerabilities are, and then um, positioning the board to see things in aggregate. So this, this is a, there is now a running trend, uh, sorry, a running report of all causal investigations. And you see uh, with the addition of the two ones that we have today, so as of today, September 26, we've had 26 causal investigations for the year. These break down as follows, and again, this is the vulnerability of the organization and the bravery, I think, of the quality team to put this forward, and I think it's really important stuff. Just if we, as we look at this, we've had uh, 2019 to date, five unanticipated mortalities, three suicides, two wrong site surgeries, six attempted suicides, and, and, and eight sexual contacts am, am, amongst all these. Um, I think it's appropriate to have a climate of concern with regard to our quality in the organization. Again, with, without the driving engine of, our, of a capable quality team, I, I, I think we would we, we would be in more dire straits. Um, uh, I, I appreciate the quality team's efforts to put this forward and upright for us to, to be able to see, because I know that they are, they are doing their best uh, uh, burning the midnight oil and then some to do this. This is for our, 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 our board, not only at the quality level, but at the, the full board level. To, to manage the and embrace our, our quality mission because, in my opinion, that's the central mission of the organization. Uh, 
Um, so with that, I'll, I'll allow any other questions or, or any other dialogue. Dr. Dr. Jay? I, I just want to, uh, and if you are ending the meeting or not yet. But keep going, keep going. I, I, I just want to, uh, I mean, we are going live on EPIC like after tomorrow midnight. Yeah. Uh, and this has been a journey, uh, a long journey. Uh, I want to take the opportunity to thank uh, the chiefs of staff and the medical staff yes, certainly. for this partnership because uh, I know it hasn't been easy. It has taken um, you know, a great deal of work from each and every one uh, of the medical staff in this journey and the leadership in the medical staff. So I just want to take this opportunity to, to, uh, uh, to thank them. Uh, I mean, I always uh, thought about this when we started as an impossible, but now it is happening and we are extremely excited about, about this opportunity. So I just, uh, you, know, at, uh, you know, at the end of the agenda, I just want to say a big thank you to each and every one of them. And, and I would fully support that and, and let any of the physicians jump in. I think this is, uh, despite all the, the, the sense of chaos, I, I, I feel the optimism. Um, and, you know, I'm a big analogy guy. I think we're about to move in a new, beautiful, big house. You know, maybe that bathroom doesn't work and maybe the lights aren't on in that room. But, but in general, we're moving to a big, cool new house. And I think this is a, this is a wonderful, optimistic time for this organization. And uh, we're, we're going to have some growing pains early on, short-term pain, long-term gain. But I, I, am, I am extraordinarily optimistic for, for the things which are going to happen. With that, we will close out item F, the Patient Safety and Regulatory Affairs Report. We've previously, at the beginning of this mean, meeting, done item G, which is the dashboard, TNM dashboard review. That's in your packet. We've done item H, the tracking calendar. I will note we'll add on a physician well-being uh, report uh, next month. Dr. J will talk to us about the patient affairs landscape maybe in November. Uh, and, and towards the top of the next year, we'll talk about our equity and, and equality uh, uh, projects. Sir. Uh, just about the patient affairs, I had uh, discussions with Terry Lightfoot, and he has, he has a, like a presentation for this. So when we are ready, he will tell us about the community affairs, like how, how, how our system is interfacing to have the patient's voice you know, in, in, in our system. Excellent. And we'll have that dialogue over the two months before we present that. Thank you, Dr. Chang. With that, uh, we will go to the last item, item A, legal counsel report. Yeah, the uh, committee met in closed session reports with no other. And with that, 10 minutes ahead of time. Never done that before. We close QPSC. Thank you.